Well, a quick congratulations is in order. Congratulations to, to you, honey. For what? And to me, we are no longer homeowners. We are now drifting in this nether space. Wanderlust. <laughs> yes, of not owning any home. No, we, we are technically homeless. Yes. Well, I mean. With yeah. fr- free rent, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So we closed on our current home last Thursday. It was official. Mm-hmm. We signed Wednesday. Buyer signed Thursday. Yes. And then uh, our closing for our new home is coming up on Wednesday. Yeah, very excited. Yeah, so, and everybody's got like a post-occupancy agreement, so we'll be moving in early August. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's just this weird space now of like our, I don't, I don't believe our name is on any title for any home. We got no. this like week-long gap. Weird. Nearly week-long gap. Yeah, so it's, it's a weird space to be in. Yeah. When we're like, yeah, like, I mean, we're in our home, but it's not our home anymore. Mm-hmm. Which I'm just now wrapping my head around on the uh, <laughs> on the pod. That on is on the pod. Yeah, super weird, but very exciting. Yeah. Exciting times. New adventures. Yeah, absolutely. New projects for me to do. Yeah. Well, welcome to Life Well Spent with Garrett and Amber, the podcast in which sometimes we own homes, sometimes <laughs> we don't. And this is the podcast where we do the most minimal amount of research necessary on a given topic, usually pop culture mm-hmm. And we do this because we like to talk to each other and we like for you to listen and comment and let us know what you think about what we're talking about. I mean, this is the one time a week that we talk to each other, so... Exactly. You know, yeah, we got to make it count. Yeah, no, it I, no eye contact no. the other six days of the week. That's, that's weird. That's for damn sure, yeah. You guys look at your spouses? Yeah, Ugh. yeah. It's going to be weird with me... Like usually I just I stay in the basement in my hole and you don't let me upstairs. No. You put a plate at the top of the stairs for me and I grab it and I run back down and I and I eat it up. So, God, what are we going to do in the new home? It doesn't have a dedicated basement. It's got like a garden level area. I'll actually have sunlight. Ugh. Ugh, gross. Ugh. Great question. Yeah, yeah. Well, how are you, babe? I'm doing really well. Yeah. Want me to talk about what I've been into? Yeah. Uh, so, a quick little thing, the more kind of pop culture-y thing. Uh, there is a subscription service. Mm-hmm. There are many of those these days, though, so this is one of them. Don't know if I've talked about it. It's called Dropout. It basically, yeah, so College Humor, you know, uh, was a website that released a bunch of uh, comedy for years. Uh, I believe... Like, Funny or Die and College Humor are the two that everybody kind of jokes about. Like, oh, yeah, you direct a College Humor skit and you make $20 or something like that. Like, um, I could be conflating that a little more with Funny or Die. I know Funny or Die was really known for, like, not paying people and just kind of taking advantage of funny people to release Mm -hmm. content. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, College Humor, uh, it's still around more or less, I I believe. Yeah, but... Uh, they have spun off into this service dropout that is a subscription service. And uh, they've got a bunch of really fun uh, original content on there. But the thing that really drew me to finally subscribing to dropout was there's this guy, Brennan Lee Mulligan, uh, hilarious uh, comedy writer, actor. Uh, but he is a like lifelong 
uh, game master, dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, it shows because he runs a few games on this channel. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one that started it was I want to say Fantasy High, which is great about all these uh, young people that are going to like this adventuring high school that's supposed to train you to be the best hero or villain you can be. And, oh, okay. You know, very D and D, but Breakfast Club. Meets mm-hmm. D&D sort of thing. Uh, they also did The Unsleeping City, which is a really pretty series. Uh, Brent Lee Mulgan grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. So you can tell it's his love letter to New York. Cool. Um, and uh, typically they'll have, like for Fantasy High and The Unsleeping City, they've got the same cast. A lot of uh, people from College Humor. Mm-hmm. Former writers and content creators. Like Zach Oyama, um, Oh, geez, uh, there's this couple that do another D&D podcast called, ironically enough, Not Another D&D Podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're on there. Uh, it's uh, really, these people, you know, they're they're actors and writers. They know how to bring a character to life. Yeah. And it really shows. Uh, but something they just started recently. So COVID happened, and so they've got a lot of episodes of... Like Unsleeping City, and there was another one about mice um, that uh, they had to record remotely. So everyone's like via Zoom, sort yeah, of thing, right? Yeah, and they do a really good job. Mm-hmm. Like everybody does the best they can, but just naturally, the technological limitations not being there in person, right? You know, it's not as good as when they're all around the same table. Yeah. Uh, and they just started up a new series with them being back around the table. And I'm going to find it because I was actually just watching it before we got started here. Uh, It is called Misfits and Magic. Mm. And uh, Brandon Lee Mulligan is not the DM in this game. He's a a character. He has a playable character. Okay. Um, And it is hosted by a really fantastic woman. I don't remember her name. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's... uh, I mean, I feel like the the show has always been relatively multi multicultural, but mm-hmm. this one, uh, the the DM is a black, uh, I believe, identifying as a woman. Um, yeah, people of color. It's it's nice. It's a bit of a smaller game. There's only four player characters as opposed to the six that is usually there. Yeah. Um, but this one's interesting because it's very much misfits and magic. Is these four normal ass people that get invited. To basically, uh, four American kids get invited to go to more or less Hogwarts. It's not called Hogwarts. Something to that effect. Yes. And so it's them kind of commenting on how ridiculous and ludicrous it is to go to this magic school where you don't learn, like, basic mathematics or accounting or anything like that. You just learn, like, weird just spells. Magic. and Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And, the, the like I said, the DM is uh, really fantastic. Uh, just like Brennan Lee Mulligan. You know, the the DM, they, they have to set their parameters, but you also want to give people room to explore mm-hmm. and grow and try things. If you just stifle everything and keep it on rails, it's going to be a super boring campaign and nobody's going to have fun. Right. But uh, she does a good job of reining people in when it's needed, but also letting them... Play like, around. Yeah. For example, in the second episode, one of the characters, uh, he's playing like a, a basketball star. Mm-hmm. And he like... He wants weight. He wants to lift weights. He's an athlete. So he tries to just conjure up free weights. 
Okay. And he totally fails the roll, and he accidentally just conjures this big spike of iron that comes up through the floor. Oh, gosh. Almost like impaling his friends. Um, so, you know, a situation like that, you can't just tell him, like, no, you can't do that. It's like, you're doing some weird shit. Yeah. Like, she even asks him, are you trying to conjure free weights from a location in the world already existing, or are you mm. trying to create weights from your mind, from what you understand weights to be? And he's like, you know, it probably would have been more successful if he, would, if he like, tried to take him from his high school gym, but he thought, he's like, well, my character would just think I'll just whip up some weights. You know, yeah. I'll just think about, you know, some, some dumbbells and maybe a bench or something like that, and mm-hmm. it totally goes sideways. So, uh... It is, I, I don't play a lot of D&D, but I'm relatively obsessed with D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that stops me is my social anxiety. <laughs> New people scare me. And I, the idea of going to a comic book shop and just dropping in on a game is terrifying. Um, so I get it. Uh, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, via osmosis, almost, through mm. these shows and of course the podcast I listen to I listen to a couple D&D podcasts but if uh and they have other shows uh there's a really funny one um with one of the uh ladies well I'm sorry I don't I don't think that's a correct pronoun um for this individual uh this person hosts one where uh it's like secret stoner mm-hmm. and everybody is hanging out at a table and talking and two people secretly are high and they have to try and hide it <laughs> oh my it's a gosh. lot of fun um, yeah, there's the other, uh, oh, uh, uh, I think it's called like Don't Laugh News. Oh and, uh, uh, they got four people that are playing like anchors mm-hmm. on a new show, but they just have to read a teleprompter that okay. they haven't read anything before. And if they laugh, they get negative points and whoever laughs the most loses. Okay. Tons of fun. Uh, you know, great for comedy nerds, but, uh, especially if you're a comedy nerd that would like to see some really solid D&D campaigning. Mm-hmm. Uh, That'd be a good one. Yeah. This is, uh, um, really good. Nice. Yeah. So. Very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, um, I went on a really good bike ride the other day with some friends. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. My, uh, our, our cousin-in-law, uh-huh. uh, Evan, he's a cyclist and he gave me his old bike a while ago i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast but it's very generous extremely insanely too i should have said no <laughs> but he's they're very extremely kind people um so i've been riding a lot like to and from windsor from Greeley, mm-hmm. like like 20 to 30 mile bike rides and went out with some friends uh the other day and uh, this town loveland that we're moving closer to has a 20 mile loop that you can do and they pretty much got it finished there's it's like 99.7 percent finished there's a little bit of road work they're doing on a section otherwise it is done and it is insane that'll be really it's cool incredible it's finished yeah just i was born and raised in loveland so to be able to ride like all the way down south and then all of a sudden you're riding and it's like oh i'm now i'm up north by this place that i used to you know hang out as a kid and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's insane in the place we're moving. Uh, I'm like a county road away from getting onto the bike trail, which is really nice. But mm-hmm. there's also a couple of spots, of course, where I can drive my bike over, park, ride the loop. Right, um, right. And I've been talking to some friends about uh, getting on that loop. But there's an offshoot that goes north towards uh, Fort Collins, really cool college town. 
that has uh, the the bike path goes right by one of my favorite comic book shops in Northern Colorado, Griffin That's Games right. and Comics. That's right. So I'm looking forward to riding up there and you know bringing a backpack and buying a maybe a couple comics in a game or something like that. That's going to be the best. That's going to be really cool. How long does it usually take you to go the loop? Like an hour? Yeah, I think uh, our buddy Matt was tracking it last time, and we did, I think we did 20 miles in about an hour and a half, give or take. Okay. Yeah, Monster Mano. So, um, yeah, and I'm trying to think. Usually when I ride to Windsor, it takes about 50 minutes, and I think that's maybe 16 miles. I think it might even be less than that. I think it's closer to like 13 yeah, I think uh, it's somewhere around there. It's somewhere around there. So mid teens. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm actually getting a lot of sun this summer, which is nuts for me. Usually yeah. I, I hide from heat. I hate heat, but like I feel like the last time you probably got a, a tan in the summertime was when you were working landscape. Absolutely. And that was because you had to be outside. That, yeah, was, I had to earn a paycheck. Yeah. So no, this is nice getting up. It uh, it also drives me to get up earlier, which is better for me. That way, mm-hmm. I can you know be more productive. Yeah, get a get a bike ride in, get a workout in. Um, riding to my office in Windsor is the best, soon to be our office. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's been a blast. But uh, what about you? What have you been into? Well, I watched uh, a new show on uh, Netflix called Atypical. Yeah. Not, I haven't. Not necessarily a new show, right? Because when you were watching it, I saw as it was like. Maybe you were pulling up the show or changing episodes. It's got four seasons. It does not. Does it really? I believe I saw four I seasons. I am behind. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's exciting, though, because now I'm not just going to cruise through it in a day. And You were worrying me last night. You were staying up, and I'm, like, ready to fall asleep, <laughs> and you're still watching. I'm like, oh, she's going to be stay, up until, like, one again, isn't she? I stayed up till 11, and then I realized, because I thought it, the season had ended, and so I started the next episode um, just to kind of see, like, where it was going to pick up from uh-huh. uh and so i saw like a quick minute of it i'm like all right that's a good stopping point and i decided to shut it off but uh no it's a really good show i mean it's so it's basically about this um 18 year old kid who has autism and he's got a younger sister a couple years younger than him who's like a track star in high school and she's kind of his go-to in school you know he'll come to her if he's got issues she tends to protect him from bullies um you know, it just is always there in case he kind of has like a, a moment of uh, overstimulation or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he's got his parents and his mom is, I think, so at first I was a little upset with her because she has, spoilers here, um, she ends up having an affair yeah. with a guy that she meets at a bar. Mm-hmm. And at first I'm thinking like, okay, well, it was just her and she like, she feels as though... Um, she's kind of dove into the whole autism thing with her son since he was diagnosed when he was four and that's been her entire life, Mm -hmm. you know, has been around him. So she doesn't really have her own identity anymore. And her husband is like, oh, you should go dancing. I got you a class to go out and just have fun for a night, you know, meet new girls or whatever, new people. Um, so she does, and then they take her out for a drink, and that's where she meets the guy. And so I think it was kind oh. of her trying to escape her world yeah, to kind of feel like not everything has to be about her autistic son. Mm-hmm. Um, in the worst way possible, though. Yeah. I mean, in, a, don't, in a very unhealthy way. Very yeah, unhealthy. Sure, sure. I don't, you know, 
I would not advise to cheat on your spouse. <laughs> get away from your life. Hot take from Amber. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't folks. cheat, guys. <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's super interesting to kind of, I was upset with her, but then, you know, later on, it's almost like you kind of sympathize. Uh, you have a little bit of empathy with her because it's like, well, you know, it's, that's a lot to, to handle. And um, I mean, for the whole family and she's really dove into it with you know the type of food that she feeds him and you know getting him to the right therapists and you know things to really help him yeah um and it's just it's super um it's refreshing to kind of get a glimpse into that world because not everybody has or knows somebody with autism Mm -hmm. or even anything on the spectrum so getting a glimpse into that and realizing like you know they're just regular people they just have different stimulus um, thresholds yeah. and yeah totally and they're just trying to navigate through that mm-hmm. um, so it's it's super interesting and I really really love watching it um, I'm probably like five episodes in maybe four or five um, in the show in the show there was only you finished the first season yesterday didn't you no I don't well maybe I thought you said you did season? no I thought it was the end of the season and then it but now that you're telling me that there's four seasons maybe it was the beginning of the I second season I bet you're season. like eight episodes in probably yeah knowing me i'm like oh that's like (laughs) me having like a pack of oreos and being like i only ate like two and half the bag is gone yeah yeah um yeah so it's it's really really good i think uh i believe uh michael rapaport plays the dad Mm -hmm. probably the most likable he's ever been i yeah usually he kind of plays like kind of a douchebag I think because in real life, he's just kind of a New York... Outspoken. Annoying-ass dude. Like, yeah. I I find him to be pretty insufferable. Mm. Uh, but in this show, he's very sweet and uh, caring, considerate, open. Um, yeah, very extremely likable character. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you definitely really like him as a dad, and he really tries to be a part of his kids lives and yes uh you know he kind of he's got a daughter so she's kind of a daddy's girl and it's just it's cute to see like the him bonding with them you know um but yeah nice so yeah it's a good show very nice so i've got uh the floor this week yes and was this the second week of our i believe so july july to me yeah which is kind of fun to say it is fun Cuban, like, you like to me. Maybe I shouldn't do that voice. Uh, So I wanted to kind of talk about, I wanted to focus on musicians Mm -hmm. and just kind of stage presence and, like, I'm going to get into the lie portion of it, but we're going to start off as more just personas that artists have taken upon themselves. Which I feel like a lot of artists have. Yes, I think even if you don't have a straight up persona, like you, a lot of artists won't, uh, like I wouldn't call Prince a persona. I don't know Prince's legal name. Mm -hmm. I would call Prince just, that is the artist. Yeah. You know, same thing with Lady Gaga. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyonce, but she even had a persona, didn't she? I was thinking about that earlier today. Sasha Fierce. That was it. I kept wanting to say Foxy Shazam, but that was a... (laughs) That's a band. Um, Sasha Fierce. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I found some kind of fun uh, alter egos in music history. Uh, this is from You Discover Music. I wonder if it uh, it may be out of the UK because it's got quite a few UK-based bands that I've never really heard of. Okay. Um, 
But uh, the first one, which I think is really fun and a major blind spot for me, is George Clinton. Who is that? Uh, George Clinton. I'll, I'll read it to you. But okay. uh, some of his alter egos are Star Child, Dr. Funkenstein, and Mr. Wiggles. Dr. Funkenstein? I, I think you might like George Clinton's music quite a bit. It is uh, funk. All right. Uh, so George Clinton created more than just alter egos. He created an entire universe with his P-Funk mythology that would pave the way for Afrofuturism. Both of his pioneering bands, Funkadelic and Parliament, were part of Clinton's cosmology that included galactic-themed dancers, costumes, and a replica spaceship on a stage during performances. His lifelong fascination with sci-fi manifested itself in his character Star Child, inspired by 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Dr. Funkenstein, who sprung from Clinton's fascination with cloning. Other incarnations included Mr. Wiggles, a rapping underwater DJ, Sir Nose Devoid of Funk, <laughs> Lollipop Man, and countless others. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think I was first made aware of George Clinton. In, he made appear, an appearance in the movie. Uh, oh, my goodness. Come on. I almost had it. Uh, P, PC, I think it's called. Or, hmm. PC PCU I think that's right like basically uh, it stars the uh, he was in this uh, this always happens to me I freeze up on one and then I can't connect the others um, oh god the, he was the agent in that show about the four kind of douchey guys that's based on Mark Wahlberg's life Entourage oh, okay and the guy that played the agent. Do you remember that actor's name? I don't. Yeah. Anyways, we all know who I'm talking about. If you don't, get at me, I guess. Um, uh, so he started in this movie, PCU, and it's basically, it was them trying to do Animal House, but in the 90s. Two okay. varying degrees of success. Yeah. But uh, I believe it was the uh, George Clinton in the Parliament of Funkadelic uh, played a concert, and I remember there was a grown man in a diaper just dancing on stage. Oh my He's gosh. part of the entourage. Um, I think even uh, Jurassic 5 might have taken some in- inspiration. My brother was telling me he saw a J5 show when we were younger, and they just had a dude on stage just dancing, just like like <laughs> a hype man, but a hype man through his body. Okay. Like he's not on the mic being like, yeah, you know. Like that SNL skit with Jason uh Yeah, Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, he's where just he, doing the running yeah. man in a... What is up with that? Yeah. What is up with that? And yeah, he's just doing like the... Yeah, exactly like that. Oh my gosh. I, I think that, you know, George Clinton inspired a lot of that stuff. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to have to listen to some George Clinton. Because it is... Yeah, it's like future, uh, psychedelic, uh, funk. Okay. Um, yeah. It's I very love that. fun. Yep. Uh, so, another one was David Bowie. Uh, Ziggy Stardust, I think most people, if you know David Bowie, you at least know of Ziggy Stardust as the character. Yeah. Uh, I'm not super familiar, though, because there's another character named Aladdin Sane and the Thin White Duke. Uh, let's see. You know what? I'll read the whole thing because I think it's fascinating. Another artist who turned to the stars for inspiration was David Bowie for his bisexual alien glam rock persona, Ziggy Stardust. Immortalized in his 1972 concept album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Not wanting to be stuck as Ziggy forever, Bowie killed off the character to become Aladdin Sane, a harder, nastier persona inspired by the dark decadence of America. 
Soon after, Bowie debuted his third persona, the Thin White Duke, a mad aristocrat whose look closely resembled Bowie's humanoid alien character, Thomas Jerome Newton, in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, that was a film. Uh, the Duke eventually landed Bowie in hot water for his more controversial statements, which he attributed to the character. I think Bowie might have had a, had a, a bit there where he might have donned some Nazi paraphernalia. Oh, wow. Which, it, that might be apocryphal. Uh, you know, I'm just saying I thought that I might be... That was, a big, that was a big thing in uh, the 80s in the UK in punk was donning mm. Nazi paraphernalia as kind of a counterculture statement. Yeah. Um, some of the punks may have agreed with Nazi thoughts. Mentality. But I think most of them, it was kind of... Uh, my understanding, I think, uh, I think it was on uh, the podcast No Dogs in Space. They talked about, you know, a lot of people that... A lot of punks that wore that kind of stuff in the 80s, it wasn't about agreeing with Nazism. It was... Uh, uh, fuck you to mom and dad because all they would talk about was like the blitzkrieg and all oh, the war and mm. you know and they were like well you know screw you all like you destroyed the country so they would kind of don that i'm uh, not i'm definitely not defending it no. it's not a good look no but there is some explanation that the entire punk scene uh in the 80s in uh the uk was not racist just unfortunately some people took shock Gotcha. In a poor direction, so I wonder if David... David. My, my buddy David. I wonder if he got caught up in that. Uh, don't know who those are, people are. Hank Williams. I don't really know much about Hank Williams, but apparently he uh, released some stuff that was a little more outside of the norm as Luke the Drifter, which okay. is a good name. That is a I fun like name. I like Luke the Drifter a lot. Don't know them. Don't know him. <laughs> Paul McCartney apparently had... What? Uh, Another persona called Percy Thrillington. A bit much. I, I, I don't know. I think that's a bit much. Percy Thrillington. That's yeah. A, a little thirsty. Uh, like, if we're just just judging it off the name, eh. I mean, yeah. If, I mean, if he's trying to be thrilling, yeah. it's a little I mean, on the nose. Percy Thrillington is no uh, Sir Nose Devoid of Funk. <laughs> like, that's a name. Percy Thrillington is... Doesn't do it for me. He could have done better. Yeah. Uh, so after making Ram in 1971, Paul McCartney produced a big band instrumental version of the entire album, which re- which was released in 1977 under the mysterious moniker of Percy Thrillington. Paul McCartney, along with his wife Linda, it, excuse, invented the fictitious character and even went so far as to take out ads in various UK music papers announcing Thrillington's activities as well as spinning a detailed backstory for the thrill, uh, Percy Thrillington liner notes. McCartney stayed mum about Thrillington's identity until he revealed the truth at a press conference in 1989. McCartney would continue to use pseudonyms for his more experimental side projects, including electronic outings with producer Youth, uh, credited to the Firemen. This just... Tells me that Paul was bored and wanted to have a good time and experiment mm-hmm. with other things. Like, uh, n- you know, it's not just experimenting the music, but outside of the realm of music, the persona, right. putting ads in papers. 
I think that's fun. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of these are, you know, back in the 80s, 70s, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that you're right that they are just bored with the style of music that they have been doing forever and they wanted to switch it up. Nowadays, I mean, people just start doing different type of albums and they don't go under any other moniker. Like Lady Gaga, she's done like... I mean, she, uh, okay, so she had, like, somewhat of a country-sounding one. She oh, did yeah, one that's with, right. Uh, What's-his-name that was more of, like, a ballad. Uh, oh, my um, God, what is that dude's name? Old if guy. you want my body and you think I'm sexy. He sang that song. Oh, I should know it. I have their album. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, you know, so it's like she can take Rod on... Stewart. No, it wasn't Rod Stewart. No, it's definitely Rod Stewart, no. is it not? No. Oh, no, you're totally right. I'm... I could go grab the album. No, this guy's no. more of a crooner. God. Um, Golly. I can't remember. But, you know, so she's able to kind of just, like, reinvent from different albums that mm-hmm. she wants to create, right? Um, and I think she's done, like, more of, like, techno-funk type stuff. Um, same thing with, Tony like, Bennett. Tony Bennett. There it is. Found it. I was listening, but in the... Oh, yeah, yeah. In my other lobe, I was like, <laughs> Billy, I know this. buddy. Yeah. Tony Bennett, for sure. So I think just it shows that she can do all sorts of different music. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, she came out with all sorts of different ways to dress and her makeup and, like, different characters the whole time. Yeah, she doesn't mess with name or persona. It is just Lady Gaga kind of... Forming herself into different genres. Yeah, Lady Gaga is in in and of herself a chameleon, so... And same thing with uh, uh, Miley Cyrus. I mean, she started off as kind of more of the... Like that Hannah Montana Poppy. vibe, pop vibe, and now she's more so of like the 1980s uh, uh, kind of glammy stuff. Or? Glam. Um, I'm trying to think of her name. Um, the really like punk, dark hair mullet gal. Oh, uh, why can we never think of names? This is terrible. Like she did. I love rock and roll. I think so. Yeah. Wasn't there a movie Joan Jett? That? Joan Jett. Very Joan Jett now and like kind of David Bowie-esque sort of. Interesting. Um, Because I think people just like to reinvent themselves under their same name. So I feel like maybe back in the day they weren't really allowed to do that. So to get past that, they they made a new persona. I think George Clinton was just having a good time. But... Oh, right. I mean, two commonalities there is George Clinton. I believe that is his legal name as well as Paul McCartney. Right. So I could see why they would adopt different personas yeah that makes a lot of sense um but uh apparently prince had a alternate persona camille huh yeah prince's unreleased albums are nearly as famous as the ones he did release with the only comfort being that some of his shelved material ended up on official albums such is the case with camille the 1986 unreleased self-titled debut by prince's gender fluid alter ego while prince was no stranger to employing his falsetto uh, or alter egos for that matter. Jamie Starr, Tora Tora, and Alexander Nevermind are just a few others. For Camille, he purposefully recorded his vocals at a slower speed and then adjusted them to the higher pitch to achieve a more feminine sounding voice. Interesting. Yeah. Most of the Camille tracks later appeared in 1987's Sign of the Times, including Strange Relationship, If I Was Your Girlfriend, and its B side, Shockadelica. His Camille character was also the guiding force responsible for another shelved release, the Black Album, which featured two other Prince alter egos, Bob George and Spooky Electric. That's fun. Yeah. Moe, I mean, I love Prince, but I, I've never diked deep, 
dove deep into his discography. Yeah. Ever. I don't think I have either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they've got Eminem and his alter ego Slim Shady. I think... They're one and the same. Uh, I don't see any difference. Okay. Personally. I, I think they argue that maybe uh, Marshall Mathers, uh, when he is Eminem, like, is more kind of autobiographical, talking about, you know... Uh, stuff that's important, his daughter, his mom, stuff like that. Okay. And then when he's Slim Shady, it's it's a little more bigger, verbose, uh, stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if I just necessarily agree with that, but yeah, I get it. Uh, Leon Russell is Hank Wilson. Don't know. Nicki Minaj uh, has a alter ego, Roman Zelansky. Oh. Which I just realized sounds so much like Roman Polanski, who is the disgraced director uh, that fled the country because of uh, accusations of pedophilia. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Uh, in the self-serious landscape of hip-hop, Nicki Minaj is a true chameleon, employing various wigs and guises to embody alter egos, each with their own backstory. So much so that there's an entire wiki page to track them all. The most famous and Minaj's personal favorite is Roman Zelansky, a fast-talking, flamboyant British gay man who courts controversy. After first making an appearance on Trey Song's hit Bottoms Up, he pops up on other Minaj hits including Roman's Revenge, Roman Holiday, and Roman Reloaded. His mother, Martha Zelansky, is another <laughs> one of Minaj's alter egos alongside the Harajuku Barbie, female Wheezy, Lil Wayne's female counterpart, Point Dexter, and more than ten others. <laughs> That's cool. That, yeah, that feels like she just kind of wanted to employ different voices that maybe didn't feel like Nicki Minaj and she, yeah. yeah experimenting um yeah Tupac had Machiavelli uh Herman Blunt I have no idea this one I like because I I think the gorillas are fascinating I know a little bit about them since they kind of came out when we were teenagers yes uh so this is a uh, Damon Alburn uh he is 2D of the gorillas uh, sick of disposable pop groups they saw on MTV and itching to experiment with hip-hop, Blur frontman Damon Alburn and his flatmate and illustrator Jamie Hewlett concocted the idea of the fictional animated band Gorillaz in 1998. Just like the above artists, Alburn used anonymity to create music he could never release with Blur. Complete with a rotating cast of kooky characters, this cartoon side project exploded into a t- uh, chart-topping band with their breakout single Clint Eastwood in 2001. I don't remember that one. Really? You would you would remember it. Okay. Uh, Do they... I'm happy. I'm feeling glad I got sunshine. Do they ever say Clint like Eastwood in the song, though? Um, not really. Okay. It's, it's very uh, rap-heavy. I think that might be Del the Funko, Funky, Homo Sapien, Funky Homo Sapien that's on there. Okay. I could I could wrap almost all of it right now to you. <laughs> almost all of it. Go ahead, Garrett. All right. Oh. I'll get, finally, someone <laughs> let me out of my cage. Anyways, uh, Will Oldham, uh, otherwise known as Bonnie Prince Billy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I thought those are fun. I yeah. think that I mean, like I said, that's that's not necessarily a lie. It is just. Presenting yourself as a different person, you know. Right. Uh, cooperating with the music or in contrast to the music, I think that's super cool and mm-hmm. leads to obviously some incredibly creative choices. Yeah. Uh, the other day, I listened to last podcast on the left, mm-hmm. their three part series on the deaths of uh, Tupac and 
Biggie Smalls, mm-hmm. uh, aka Notorious B.I.G. And they started off with uh, talking about N.W.A. because, of course, like N.W.A. kind of started the the movement of gangster rap, which then led into Bloods v. Crips, East vs. West, and led to many deaths. Yes. Not just Biggie and Tupac. Uh, but um, I thought that Ice Cube was just... Uh, the, the members of N.W.A. are interesting because they all kind of were very similar and yet so different. Um, mm-hmm. Easy uh, was a drug dealer. You know, that's I, he didn't love it. It, it. He wasn't like into the lifestyle. It was just what he did to make money. Before uh, he got big. Yeah. Dre just wanted to make music. You know, he was a producer, produced beats, mm-hmm. um, did some kind of corny shit before he got into NWA. Like he did a rap about monsters or something. <laughs> um, and... Uh, uh, Ice Cube, I've always thought is super interesting because apparently he like maybe sold a little bit of drugs, but not really. Okay. Um, and I don't think that uh, O'Shea Jackson, aka Ice, aka Ice Cube, is necessarily lying. It is again just a persona. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when he was with N.W.A., they talked about stuff that was affecting them and their friends, youth uh, on the streets of Compton. Right. Um, whether or not he was a directly involved with the drug game, it was just a pervasive thing surrounding you. So, um, Bringing awareness. Yeah. Yes, Ice Cube is, is not like a lie by any means. It's just maybe he wasn't in that life like he... Uh, especially later on after he left NWA and went on to just be Ice Cube, like he was a lot more aggressive and stuff. But that was just that was what you didn't rap, you know. You, right. You beefed with other rappers and mm-hmm. you know had a not too amicable split with NWA and Easy and Dre and all that stuff. Um, but something that I thought that was interesting was uh, uh, in ninth grade at George Washington Preparatory High School in Los Angeles. Q began writing raps, once challenged by a friend nicknamed Kiddo to do so in typewriting class. Kiddo lost. Uh, explaining his own stage name, Cube implicates, implicates his own older brother. He threatened to slam me into a freezer and pull me out when I was an ice cube. Oh my gosh. I just started using that name and it just got on. Interesting. Yeah, something that I really liked though, uh, Cube also attended William Howard Taft High School in Woodland Hills, California. Soon after, he wrote and recorded a few locally successful rap songs with N.W.A. He left for Arizona to enroll the in the Phoenix Institute of Technology in the fall 1987 semester. In 1988, with a diploma in architectural drafting, he returned to Los Angeles area and rejoined N.W.A., uh, but kept a career in architecture drafting as a backup plan. Mm. Yeah. I, I just like that, you know, uh, Ice Cube was... Wasn't a dummy, you know. He right. he recognized w- one having a backup plan, but also just his continued growth in the music industry, as well mm-hmm. as in film and producing and things like that. He's just always kind of had his finger on the pulse. And uh, I'd heard on that episode of Last Podcast and Left, people thought that if Ice Cube had died instead of Easy. Um, Easy might have had a very similar trajectory to Ice Cube because Easy were like, you know, they talked about the game, but they weren't involved in the game. It was a means to mm, an end. Interesting. You know, so they people said like Easy definitely could have been in that same boat of expanding into film and things like that down ah. the road. Yeah. Uh, so now we're gonna get. Well, you know what? Actually, 
Some that I really like. Uh, I like theatricality in music. Yeah. And I think that, like, death metal... Uh, hardcore is a little more... You see what you get. Because a lot of hardcore... Not all, of course. A lot of hardcore is not... It's based on uh, truth, being genuine. Um, so they don't really get into... Uh, you know, I'm splitting hairs here, mm-hmm. uh, but more so it's like uh, death metal, um, uh, satanic, you know, implicated music. They tend to go big on theatricality. Okay. Uh, I found this article on Kerrang, K-E-R-R-A-N-G, exclamation point, uh, but it was uh, 11 shock rockers who are surprisingly wholesome in real life. And uh, Rob Zombie, they've got on here, of course. I think I like this article mostly because some of the names get really fun. <laughs> uh, Tobias Forge. Uh, on stage, he is known as a Ghost. Uh, I believe the band is Ghost. Uh, ghost may look like the Satanic Inquisition coming to slap the communion wafer out of a priest's <laughs> hand. But while he may not be very religious outside of his appreciation for the fallen one, frontman Tobias Forge is actually a father of two who loves celebrating Christmas in front of the fire with his family. Quote, Christmas is a big thing in our house. Uh, He explained his past Yuletide season. This past Yuletide season, excuse me. Quote, we're not religious, but we do it really full on. I actually really love Christmas. It's very cozy, which is nice. Uh, End quote. Whether or not all future Papas and Cardinals will share... Papas, right? Yeah, and Cardinals will share the laid back side remains to be seen. Uh, Sean a.k.a. Clown Cran. Uh, He is a member of Slipknot. And, uh, yeah, they talk about how he's just kind of an easygoing guy. You you know Slipknot, right? Slipknot's from Iowa. Uh, Yes, I think I knew that at one point in time. Yeah, apparently he's the percussionist. Um, uh, Yeah, big family guy, of course. I mean, all of this stuff is relatively obvious. Yeah. Like, just because you're spitting out blood or whatever on stage, quote-unquote blood, doesn't mean you're going to, like, you got to chill out every once in a while. Right. Um, Alice Cooper, they talk about his uh, 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 his own sobriety, you know, and just kind of him kind of just being a dude. Mm-hmm. This one's my favorite. Little oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Urine. Oh, my gosh. Uh, mindless self-indulgence frontman Jimmy Uringer, a.k.a. Little Jimmy Urine, is best known for slamming his pink spike-covered head into the ground while performing a song about dicks and cocaine. All right. But according to his Instagram, Jimmy is, in fact, one of the most adorable people in the world. Urine is the father of incredibly cute twin girls and readily posts sweet tributes to his wife, Chantel. Most people wouldn't expect this level of hopeless romance from a dude with urine in his name, <laughs> but the average uh, mindless self-indulgence listener, uh, it makes perfect sense. King Diamond... Uh, some of these, I I don't know if King Diamond is the band and the front, hmm. like if it's named after him, but uh, make no mistake, unlike some quote-unquote satanic bands, King Diamond's theatrical diabolism is a very real part of the personal philosophy, but that doesn't mean it's all drugs, orgies, and animal sacrifices. After heart surgery in 2010, Diamond changed his lifestyle, telling Kerrang, uh, quote, now I eat healthy and exercise. It's a big change. But it's all for the better. I'm not complaining about any of it. I got a second chance in life, and I'm very appreciative of it. End quote. 
On top of that, the king gives a big piece of his heart to his listeners as evidenced by his touching tribute to the loss of a four-year-old fan. Some people may only see inverted crosses and a bib of blood uh, when they look at King Diamond, but the fans notice the love and passion shining through everything he does. Yeah, he's got some crazy makeup in that picture. Yeah, yeah. He's crying. Yeah, if you can find this article, the, the pictures are pretty incredible, especially like King Diamond... I mean, Jimmy Urens is just adorable. It's an Instagram yeah. photo of him and his wife with their daughters, and it's it's and so the Santa cute. Hat. Yeah. Uh, there's Wednesday thirteen. Who is that? Yeah, no idea. Apparently, he's the Duke of Spook. Um, a lot of this stuff, I, I don't really have much of a. Like I said, I I was more into kind of post hardcore and yeah, even some screamo stuff. Um, Raven Black, uh, I like her. Uh, one of the more modern modern theatrical metal bands out there raven black uh, play kinetic goth metal with an elaborate storyline behind it that has spawned comic books and bizarre dressed to the nine stage show that's cool but while front woman raven may perform as a demonic doll after dark uh by she's the hard-working di i don't understand uh, um she goes on to say, uh, there's people who assume things with shock rock in one way or another, but my home life is me with my furry animals and my husband. The most exciting thing I do during the day is walk them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. They're just regular people, guys. They totally are. When they say, like, you know, celebrities are just like us, that always annoys me because it's like, well, some are. Yeah. But some aren't. Um, but these, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's George Corpse Grinder Fisher. That's a fun name. Yeah. Uh, quote, this is a song about shooting blood out of your cock. Oh, my gosh. End quote. It's something metal fans might have heard uh, George Corpse Grinder Fisher bellow at his fans while playing with his band Cannibal Corpse. But in re- I know of Cannibal Corpse. I haven't listened to much of the music. But in real life, George is one of the sweetest and most supportive musicians you'll find. And a uh, glance at his Instagram on any given moment might eat involve him clutching a horde of stuffed animals from Walmart or paying <laughs> loving tribute to his wife and daughters while he is away from them on the road. Uh, all of this made him one of the most immediate additions to our list of the best heavy metal dads and should serve as a solid reminder that even the monolithic dude screaming about human butchery uh, can be the nicest guy you've ever met. Huh. Yeah. And there's some more, but uh, yeah, those are the big ones. Um, that's like... I know in the 80s there was a big satanic panic. and Satanic panic? What satanic panic, yeah. Uh, satanic panic was in the late 70s and 80s. Uh, for some reason, there was just this big push by the uh, religious right in America that Satanists were trying to steal and rape everyone's kids. And they oh, were wow. doing that through things like Dungeons and Dragons and <laughs> Magic the Gathering. Um, I know there was even some babysitters that were accused of involving... Uh, uh, they were like a daycare provider. Okay. They were accused of like involving kids in uh, satanic rituals. Hmm. And part of that was because kids were saying like, yeah, they make us do these things. But the kids were n- not saying every kid is a liar. Yeah. These kids were lying. Probably, I think very likely being prompted by the parents or by other mm. uh, authority figures in the life. Be like, D- 
did they do the exact things that I'm saying to you right now? And they're just like, yes, they did the, those exact things. And I'm like, ah, oh, we got them. It's like, no, they're a kid. Yeah, it's hard like, to. Yeah. Um, so uh, anytime something is blamed on Satanists, like anything violent or vile or aggressive, I, I don't buy it. Yeah. Satanists, uh, my basic understanding is they just kind of like, you know, maybe they do some rituals mm-hmm. in the house. You know, probably doesn't involve anybody. Um, I know a couple of members of Last Podcast on the Left, they talked about they were conducting chaos magic uh, years ago. Hmm. But they had to stop because it got weird. Like, how, how did it get weird? I think just crazy shit started happening to them. Interesting. Like, and they just had to kind of step away from chaos magic. I don't know a lot about chaos magic. If you're interested, they did uh, some episodes on the left-hand path and the right-hand path. Last podcast and left, incredible. Very yeah. fascinating. Just uh, practical implications of magic and how to use it in your daily life. I've never had the guts personally to try and have it. It's mostly based on rituals. Mm-hmm. The idea is you do something with intent, purpose. I mean, we we do that, but we just write affirmations of like, right. you know, you were writing, we are debt free. Yeah. And we eventually got there. You could argue that that is magic. You know, mm-hmm. that is you putting something out in the universe and manifesting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And a ritual is a powerful thing. And that's a lot of, I believe, what the left hand path specifically is based on is ritual and intent to make something manifest in the real world. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it can involve semen or blood. Oh. Yeah. 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 Not for me. Hey, <laughs> it, not everything has to be for everybody. Yeah. So. If I ever try it, I'll let you guys know. Okay. I'll wait until Cash is out of the house, just to be safe. <laughs> uh, now we're getting to the lies. Okay. And I might be a little hard on this guy, but I hate Kid Rock. Yeah, I know. And I don't think it matters because he <laughs> is rich and he's doing fine. But I cannot stand him. In that picture that you just pulled up, he kind of looks like a younger, or actually now Macaulay Culkin with very long hair. Yeah, yeah. He and Macaulay Culkin have similar features. I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. I just, I wanted to point out, I'm sure most people know this by now, but uh, just this little blurb, I believe from, oh, it's from biography.com. Uh, Kid Rock was born Robert James Ritchie on Ritchie! Jan- Sorry. I, I just got excited because I think Richie Rich is a movie that Macaulay Culkin did. Anyways. Oh, yeah, I see the That's connection funny. there. Anyways. That's good. Uh, so... Uh, he was born Robert James Ritchie on January 17, 1971 in Romeo, Michigan, a small rural town north of Detroit metro area. His father was a car dealer who owned a six-acre orchard where the young Ritchie would work along with his three siblings. Mm. Um, and, yeah, they said that uh, I saw some articles that his home sold. Yeah. Um, that was his most re- oh childhood home. You know what? I'm not going to worry about that. Yeah. So Kid Rock grew up rich. He grew up yeah. a rich kid. Um, but of course he, like, especially when he first started, you know, mm-hmm. he got in, involved in kind of the rap rock scene. And it was very much like, what did he say? I'm not straight out of Compton. I'm straight at the trailer. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're a rich kid. Um, that's That makes me hate him as well as in that... That song, uh, S- singing Sweet Home Alabama all summer oh, long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He says, and we're trying different things and smoking funny things. Yeah. 
rhyming things with things should get you shot. <laughs> I think. I don't think that's. I don't think that's overstating. I think he should be shot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. Uh, Black Sabbath gets a lot of flack in. Uh, I believe it's War Dogs. Uh, Ozzy sings a uh, general gather in their masses, much like witches at black masses. Rhymes masses with masses. Mm. I would argue that is more creative than we are trying different things and smoking funny things. Smoking funny things is the same thing as trying different things. <laughs> you said the same thing twice. You just got slightly more specific. Right. I hate Kid Rock. Oh my gosh. But he's fine. So whatever. He, he, <laughs> like, like he gives a shit about me. So it's fine. <laughs> I'm talking about point, punching up. Yeah. Kid Rock and eat shit. Side note, don't actually go shoot him. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. That was years ago. So, he, you know, he should have been shot a long time ago, but he wasn't, and we all moved on. <laughs> Something, uh, so this last one, I think, is incredibly fascinating. Uh, there's a band, I, as LA Dying. Okay. They're a uh, kind of metalcore, I guess you would call them, okay. band. Uh, but uh, they... I have always, at least when I was younger, kind of high school, college age, they were still big. They were a Christian band. That's mm. how they presented themselves. Okay. Uh, a few years ago, the lead singer of As I Lay Dying, Tim Lambesis, uh, was accused and convicted of hiring somebody to kill his wife. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, turns out the person he was talking to was an undercover cop. Oh, and they busted him, and he got uh, this headline. This is from Rolling Stone. Um, this is from 2014, so it happened quite a oh, while okay. ago. Uh, Tim Lambesis, probably not saying that right, faces up to nine years in jail and a $10,000 fine. That's it for trying to hire somebody to kill your wife. That's crazy. I believe they were estranged, and that's why part of the reason why he tried to hire somebody to kill his wife. But. Hmm. Um, the I think that's sad but interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, his wife is fine. Yeah. But I think what's more interesting is kind of the fallout afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so this uh, article from The Guardian. Uh, uh, imprisoned as I lay dying, singer claims Christian rock band, just Christian rock bands, fake faith. Um, here's a quote from him. Because he talks about how uh, he said, quote, uh, I actually wasn't the first guy in As I Lay Dying to stop being a Christian. In fact, I think I was the third. He went on to say, uh, the two who remain kind of stopped talking about it, and then I'm pretty sure they dropped it too. We talked about whether to keep taking money from the quote-unquote Christian market. Uh-huh. We had this bizarrely quote-unquote noble thing like, quote, well, we're not passing along any bad ideas. We're just singing about real-life stuff. Those kids need to hear about real life because they live in a bubble. Just, uh, just the blatant uh, opportunism mm-hmm. of like, well, you know, we used to be Christian, but we're not anymore. But we still like that Christian money, baby. Right. Like, yeah. That's. I feel that same feeling when it comes to a lot of popular country music. Oh, yeah. The top ten pop country music. I'm mm-hmm. sure some grew up on farms and all that stuff, but it's the the rhetoric in that kind of music is repeated ad nauseum over and over again. The truck, the flag, stand for our troops. None right. of that in and of itself is bad, but it is so overdone, just so, it, you know, they're tropes for a reason. Mm-hmm. It feels very disingenuous. 
from yeah. from some artists, some presentations of that. It just seems like hop it on the bandwagon. They formed a band and they're like, well, we can do like poppy, shitty poppy country music because it's just a couple chords and right. and we can you know talk about again, yeah, so yeah girls in in short shorts and drinking beer and it's like it's, we, we've it's heard what that people shit like over. To hear. Oh man. I, it's got a, they've got a market for it. Yeah, you know? and you know, I, I try to be a don't yuck other people's yum kind of stance. And if you really love like pop country music, that's totally fine. You know, mm-hmm. we all got to do what we got to do to get through the day. You know, if, I do. Po- yes, if pop country gets you through that day, then then God bless it. And not everything needs to be observed through a microscope of like, oh, is the artist like, is their intent this, like. Pop music is pop music. Yeah. You know, we listen to, like, BTS. I don't know what they're saying. Yeah. Um, but it, it just feels good to kind of wiggle to it. Yeah. So, it's all good, but I just thought this is, like, the prime example of that disingenuous, disingenuine artist taking advantage of a market. Mm-hmm. This is, like, the prime bad example of that. Yeah, totally. S- some guy saying he's, you know, Christian, and then he gets caught... Trying to kill it, trying to have his wife kill him. He's like, ah, you know, none of us are Christians. It's like, don't throw other people under the bus, my dude. Like, right. But the crazy thing is, he went back on tour with As I Lay Dying in like 2018 after oh, really? he was released from jail. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. As I Lay Dying was like, yeah, come on back, man. It's all good. It's like, no, they, he, like, either way, it's bad. Yeah. If you're in As I Lay Dying and you are no longer a Christian, he just blew up your spot. If you're in As I Lay Dying and you're a Christian, he, he just like, he sh- made you seem like a discredible person. Right. Mm-hmm. When you are yeah, still of that faith. Yeah. Practicing that faith. But they're like, yeah, come on back. Yeah. Like, that's that's bad. Our son's trying to get us both to stop, which is <laughs> great for podcasting. Um, but you know what? I got to use the restroom anyways. Uh, Potty so break. I think we're going to pause here. You know what? Actually, let's say goodbye first, and then we'll pause, and then we'll come back with Loki spoilers. And Black Widow. And Black Widow, of course. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening to us. Uh, as always, uh, we love to hear any questions, concerns, comments you have. Uh, you can hit us up at lifewellspent at yahoo.com. Email us there. You can hit us up on Instagram at life, life underscore, underscore well underscore spent underscore. Thank you very much. Or on Twitter at well underscore Garrett. I think that's right. Yeah. Yep. So please uh, contact us. Uh, we are desperate to just, you know, have you write like, hey, podcast is good. <laughs> we'll take that. We will take like mediocre approval. Yeah. For sure. Take what we're given. Exactly. So. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, if you don't want to hear any spoilers for Loki or Black Widow. Uh, we bid you adieu now. Yes. Good day, sir. I said good day. Uh, and we'll see you next week. If you want to hang out for spoilers. Keep listening. Yes. All right. Love you guys so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. What did you think of Loki? The latest episode. Episode nine, right? Yes. Uh, so I found that these, the penultimate episodes in these uh, Marvel series can be a little, a little more st- like a lot of setup, obviously, because mm-hmm. the fi- the finale they really kind of pack in the action. Right. So I think this one was a nice change of pace. Um, I'm really hoping 
that this was the kind of big, dumb finale fight scene. And then in the last episode, we get a little more fighting, but maybe it's a little more intimate, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You know, the big, bombastic confrontation with Elioth was great. I yeah. think it was super cool, and I liked uh, old Loki, or classic Loki, I think is what they call him in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really loved him. I saw a Twitter post from that actor saying, like, my dad, you know, my late father used to give me grief and say, like, are you sure you want to wear tights and make up the rest of your life for, like, his career as an actor? <laughs> and he took some photos of him, like, in the Loki get-up. Oh, my gosh. Very sweet, but... Uh, yeah, I I think the finale was worth it. The stuff where another Loki came in, President Loki. Um, mm, was that the, the one that came down into their bunker? Yeah, with, with all, all the, the other, other like, Loki-esque yeah. characters, and then they all turn on him. Mm-hmm. Like, that was fine. I mean, I don't think we need another scene showing, like, oh, Lokis are betrayers. Right. Because we've kind of, we've had that. Yeah. But but it for the comedic effect it was good. Mm-hmm. I love Alligator Loki. Oh yeah. And that's my dude. I want to see a comic <laughs> book for Alligator Loki. Um <laughs> and yeah, all the uh like the young Loki, I thought that actor did a good job. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they call him Proud Loki, the the large black man. Oh, okay. Um he was great. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, overall uh a good episode, but so I, I keep kind of talking about YouTube shows that I'll watch. Right. Um, I don't think they need a shout out. I think they got a ton of viewers, but still, New Rock Stars is who I've been watching recently. And they showed that there's a lot of Kang the Conqueror imagery in this episode. Like, like what? Like a lot of the stuff that got pruned and got dropped in there. Um, like, uh, they there was a thought that Avengers Tower was in. Uh, that area but it wasn't Avengers Tower it was like uh, I guess in the comics Tony Stark sold that to a shell corporation that Kang the Conqueror is running so it was like Kang Technologies or something Mm -hmm. Um, other stuff that had the Kang name and moniker okay Um, so I am worried because I want this to have a significant impact I want this show to have a big impact on the Marvel cinematic universe Mm -hmm. but i don't think it will i think they're laying this stuff out so much because there's they know there's youtubers out there that are going to break it down frame by frame Mm -hmm. and dig back in the lore and you know making one of the main antagonists uh kang's girlfriend in the comics they are it's like when in a detective show like they find a dead body and it's got like photos of you know, the number one suspect sprinkled all, all over the body. They're like, well, this is like, this is too easy. Like, somebody obviously... Planted these plant, or something. Yeah, yeah, created this crime scene for us to find and follow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're doing. Uh, what Marvel is doing is they're like, it's going to be King the Conqueror. It's going to be King the Conqueror. And then at the end, they're like, it wasn't Just King the Conqueror, guys. And it's like, you can, o- you can only do that so many times. Yeah. I might be directly contradic- contradicting myself from last week. But I don't... The, the, this new rock star show had a theory that uh, classic Loki mm-hmm. is actually... He didn't actually die when Elioth ate him. 
Mm. Uh, the thought is that that was a an illusion, and that classic Loki is going to be uh, this character called like the the Elder One or the the One Lost in Time, something like that. Um, who I believe founded the TVA in the comics. Okay. Which that in and of itself is. It's like a fine Easter egg, but it's boring. Mm-hmm. There is plenty of potential for them to tie that into Kang or something else, some some larger ripple effect that I want this show to have throughout the universe because I think it is such a good show. Mm-hmm. I want it to have substantial impact on what we see from Marvel going forward, and that might also be because I just watched Black Widow, and I'll kind of get into that later. But, yeah. Sorry, I talked a lot. What did you think of uh, Loki? Ditto. No, I'm just <laughs> um, No, I, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think back. You know how I said like that TikTok? It just was like, oh, it, you know, each episode is like the Infinity Stone, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of what m- was mostly the coloring in this last episode. I mean, there was a lot of green just because they used that to enchant. Was Eliath a green? A green, like, because, uh, of course, Eliath was, like, smoke. But then I think right. the the shadow that showed the monster within, I don't remember. And I I'm the colorblind remember. guy, so. I don't remember. I think I'd probably have to watch it again. Yeah. But. So this episode is, that, if, if that TikToker's theory is correct, this yeah. would either be the time or the space episode. Yes. And I, I think, think space is, like, blue? Pretty right? sure, which I don't know if I really saw much blue. Not, not that I can recall. But that episode seemed very. Hmm. If it was to be time or space, I would call that space. Clearly, true. Right? Yeah, and I mean, it, it would make sense. The last one would be time mm-hmm. because of the timekeepers and all that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like I need to rewatch it now. Yeah. Um. But no, I think I do like. I mean, it's it's kind of cute with the whole romance between Loki and. Uh, Sylvie. A little weird, but also very cute. I mean, didn't one of the characters say, like, oh, how typical, you fell in love with yourself as a female. I think think, uh, Mobius even said that. Yeah. Like, yeah, the narcissist falls in love with another version of himself. How, like, how rote. Right. Yeah, how predictable. Um, But it was great to see Mobius again. Yes, I like the way his character ended off, too. I'm excited to see, because he he said he was going to go back to the TVA and burn it all down because yeah. that's what Loki said uh, earlier in the season uh, so I hope that he succeeds I hope that Mobius like gets in there and does some damage and takes it down from the inside and then I guess we'll see what Loki and Sylvie do from the outside mm-hmm. and hopefully they just create because I mean they must because Marvel and DC are both known for having vast numbers of alternate universes yeah um, I think DC's is limitless, but I don't believe Marvel's is. I think Marvel's has a limit. Okay. But of course, our main Marvel canon, uh, especially for the comics, is Marvel Six One Six. I don't know what what the MCU falls into. I think that is a different universe. Mm. Um, but I mean, they must they must shatter shatter Something. into all these different universes. And I think it'd be actually really fun if they directly tied that into What If. Mm-hmm. If maybe uh, the series ends with Uatu the Watcher, um, because Uatu the Watcher is like the framing device for all the What If series. The idea is that Uatu is this grand celestial being mm-hmm. that is basically the record keeper of the 
entire multiverse. Okay. He just watches. He he says he doesn't intercede, but he's he's interceded a few times. Um, but that's the what if series is basically Watu saying like, hey. I saw this crazy shit happen. Like, check this out. And then, yeah, it's Marvel Zombies or whatever. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah. I hope I hope something like that happens. I think if it led into What If, I'd be a little disappointed, mm-hmm. but not super disappointed. If it, if it laid out some pretty clear suggestion or expectation that, like, now that the multi... Hopefully the multiverse is broken up and, like, maybe... We see something that's associated with the Baxter building where the Fantastic Four are from. Or we see, like, a building that looks like uh, the Xavier Institute for mm. Gifted oh, Children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we're in, like, uh, I think that's in, like, Westchester, New York or something. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a little, a little, a uh, little taste. <laughs> a little something. That's, that's, if it ends with that, I'll be good. I don't need a blatant, like, Wolverine comes in, he's like, a day or whatever. Yeah. Um, a little something is what I need after, like, the Fox and Marvel merger. Like, it's time to start Doing taking something. advantage of that shit. Like, yeah. implementing it. You know, getting us psyched. Especially with the first Marvel movie coming out in over a year and a half. Or under a year and a half, but not much. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for the next episode, for sure. Yeah, can't wait for the finale. Uh, yeah, this this show, I think, is... I think it's my favorite one so far, but I do want to watch WandaVision again. Yeah. WandaVision was incredible and very sweet. Uh, this one, I I don't know. I don't know why I like this. I think I think this one just looks so unlike anything else, mm-hmm. which is a criticism I have of Black Widow. Okay. But I do want to start with the positives. Florence Pugh is a goddamn star. She was awesome oh, in this. I think she stole that movie. Uh, I saw some sort of uh, review or criticism saying, oh, it was a uh, quick shout out to Cosmonaut Variety Hour. It's uh, this dude on YouTube. Um, does a lot of like uh, pop culture review mm-hmm. stuff. Very, very astute, incredible observations on this kid. Uh, I, I, I think he's in his like early to mid 20s. Um, but he just talked about how Scarlett Johansson didn't really have anything to do. And I think for the first 95 minutes of the movie, he's right. Mm. But then at the end, I think her confrontation with the big bad guy. Um, yeah. I think she I think she really kind of brought it there. I mean, I feel opinion. like it was all quite a team effort, though. Mm-hmm. From the beginning. Sure. What do you... Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree that she didn't do anything until no, 95 minutes the in. The actor had nothing to do. Her portrayal of Black Widow, uh, he he was stipulating that, like, Scarlett Johansson didn't have any time to spread her, you know, to, to use her acting chops. Like, it was a very controlled, subdued performance. Oh, interesting. And, and not okay. necessarily Scarlett Johansson's fault, that right. could be directing, that could be the script, that could be okay. plenty of things. Um, so no, like, of course, Black Widow has major impact on the story. It's just Scarlett Johansson didn't get a chance to really... Explore, like, her character. Yeah, or go big with any performances, stuff like that, until, again, until the end. I think that's when she got to kind of show some depth hmm. okay. um, in her acting range and in the character. All right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I loved how... Uh, 
it was basically a, a all women cast except for maybe three people. Three. Or yeah, four we were people. talking about there was just like two or three males. Yeah. Which yeah, that's hell yeah. You never see that. Could so definitely like, use more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, Very totally cool. agree. Uh, but yeah, Florence Pugh was. I feel like they they definitely casted her pretty perfectly for that role. Absolutely. And I'm I'm excited to see what how she goes on from here. Yes. You know, obviously we we saw the spoiler at the end and Yeah, the uh the They're not done with her yet. End of credit scene. Uh yeah, that was really sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, her being at Natasha's grave and I think they set it up really well of her doing the whistle thing that her sister does back to her. Right. And then leaving a pregnant pause. Mm-hmm. But then cutting over to the actor that I always Val? forget her name. Oh, uh, Seinfeld and Veep. Yeah. She's incredible. Um, but Julie her... Ru- Julie Louise Dreyfus. Thank is. you, honey. Julie yes. Julie Yeah, that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, her blood her nose. I think that was just a clear, like, everybody stop. Black Widow's dead. Mm-hmm. Let's move forward with, with the narrative. With right. Florence Pugh. With Al- Elena? Alana? Yolena. Al- Yol- Yolena. I think. Or Yolena. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, I think we went with some friends and we were talking about like, oh, is this going to be a lead up to maybe a Dark Avengers mm-hmm. storyline? Um, because Julia Louise Dreyfus's character has U.S. agent now and he's, I would call him an anti-hero. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just setting up uh, Elena, Yola- Yolana. Um, Yo- Yolena? Yeah, with her being ready to kill uh, Clint, uh, Hawkeye. Which, we'll see if that leads into the Hawkeye show coming out, I think, late this year or maybe early next year on okay. Disney+. Plus. Uh, so I don't know if it'll lead directly into that or something mm-hmm. else. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. To, I hope that they keep building that Julia Louise Dreyfus stable. Because I want to see what else they're going to do. I mean, with Sang chi coming out, if, if they're yeah. going, like, really allowing her to really kind of draft some bad guys. Mm-hmm. They showed that Abomination is going to be back in Sang-Chi. Maybe she can recruit Abomination Interesting, as yeah. part of the team. Yeah, uh, you know, it it could be like Dark Avengers or even Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts is mm. like, it's uh, Suicide Squad, but Marvel. That's right, you know? that's right. So if they wanted to go a little more that road, then she can like, yeah, start drafting people like that. Um, I think I heard rumors that... Uh, so General Ross is the white-haired guy that's chasing down Black Widow in the movie. Okay. Um, I believe he starts the Thunderbolts, um, as mm. well as he becomes the Red Hulk down the line. I thought I'd heard rumors that Red Hulk is going to be implemented in the movies. But didn't he die? He didn't die, did he? The bad guy? No, General Ross. He's an American general, not the, like... Oh, I see what you... Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. I'm picturing the wrong guy. Yes, yeah. our, our son is probably asking for chips or something. He is. Yeah. It's on the counter by the fridge. He's, he looks shocked go, surprised. Go, go look. We're almost done, kiddo. Counter Doing by great. the fridge. Um, as I punch the desk in it. Yeah. Uh, other supporting cast. I, I truly, I feel like everybody else... 
was fine, but just I keep thinking of Florence Pugh, like her mm-hmm. on the ground making fun of Natasha's like she whips her hair up when she's down on the ground right. and uh, the the bit about the jacket and the pockets and yeah. all of her stuff felt so genuine and heartfelt that it avoided the in my opinion, I think a lot of people like give accurate criticism of Marvel like doing too much uh, jokey bit stuff, mm-hmm. but I think that Florence Pugh just really brought an authenticity to it. A, oh, a, yeah. A joy. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't her just reading lines. Um, she, she brought something extra to it, so. Yeah, and it's like, I think it was funny uh, when she first said that thing about, like, her pose or whatever. Yeah. It's like, I never noticed it. And then she brought it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, she does do that a lot. It was it was a big one in the trailer for Iron Man 2. Okay. That's when they premiered Black Widow. And, yeah, she's got the thing where she, like, drops down and does the hair flip. Yeah. Right, but Yeah, right. totally. That's yeah, so she funny. Yeah, she actually She's such a poser. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then doesn't she, like... She does it. She dries it. She's like, oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. She made me excited to see that character more yeah. coming up. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. If she yeah, takes she on the Black Widow mantle or does something different, uh, yeah, I'm excited to have that fresh new blood mm-hmm. uh, in the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's what's so exciting about this new phase is a lot of the Disney Plus shows are kind of showing this new blood that's potentially coming in, mm-hmm. but as well as Black Widow. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with uh, Scarlet or uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Right. Uh, if, you know, they bring back Wanda's kids and they're, you yeah, know, they start cool. the Young Avengers. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I can't wait. So... I think I talked about Black Widow kind of being a middle-of-the-road Marvel movie for me. Mm. Um, I've, I've heard some comparisons to a Bourne film. I think that's pretty accurate. I could see that. Kind of world-hoppy and yeah. uh, espionage you right. know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I could see that. Yeah, for I, sure. I can get down on that. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, it's in the... A little better than Iron Man 2, not quite as good as Iron Man 3 camp for me. Okay. What about you? Um, I mean, it probably about that. Yeah. I think. I'm not mad that I saw it. No, I th- I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I also think that we've been spoiled with, like, WandaVision and Loki doing such weird, crazy things. The Marvel Cosmic Universe is so interesting. And then you get into stuff like Falcon and Winter Soldier and uh, <laughs> Black <laughs> Widow. Uh, Amber's petting Gilly aggressively, and she loves it. She's loving um, this. It's it's hard to kind of go from crazy shit to like, oh yeah, these normal people have guns, and they're run- I mean they're not they're not normal, but they're normal compared to weird time variance authority crap. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So overall, I I'd say watch it. For sure, watch it. Yeah, yeah. a lot of action from it, like beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, if I mean, if nothing else, I do think that Hollywood still has this kind of, this idea, this stupid, like, Hollywood's been notorious for years of saying, like, oh, if, if there's not a white male in the lead, then nobody will go see it. Like, if it's got uh, people of color, um, you know, people that aren't native uh, English speakers, people won't go see it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's ludicrous. If, if it's, you know, if it's got a bunch of women generally people won't go see it so go see it just to you know show hollywood executives that they're fucking idiots yeah (laughs) and everybody all people deserve 
stories told for them about them mm-hmm, with them sure. in mind um and this one you know it it was still entertaining yeah it was still good i chuckled every once in a while had a had a blast yeah i really enjoyed yeah. it so that's it can't wait for season finale of loki yep two days yep two days Sang cheese coming up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the year will end with the Eternals, or at least for the MCU canon. I'm sure there will be some Disney Plus stuff coming up. Right. After that, but uh, that'll be November, right? Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what like I'm. I'm I know nothing about the Eternals. I don't either. Um, a podcast was to kind of talked about the Eternals, and it just seemed weird. Yeah. You know, which is fine. Weird is good. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully it is weird and interesting and unique. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing. I hope that Sang-Chi, uh, Shang-Chi, Sang-Chi, I've heard both. I hope that it hires incredible stunt actors and choreographers so they don't have to shake the goddamn camera around for every oh, single fight yeah. scene. That was terrible in Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Just total like... Uh, there's a director last name Greengrass who did all the Bourne movies, mm-hmm. and another apt, you know, comparison to Bourne movie because every action scene you can't, they're can't just wait. shaking the camera all <laughs> over the place. And it's like I get that you want to, you want to show action, right? But it makes the fight scene so boring because mm-hmm. you're like I don't really know what's going on. I'm not feeling any impact or, you know, it doesn't right. have you feel the conflict. It just shows that they don't have any confidence in the choreography. In the actors and the stunt performers, so they got to shake the camera around. True, oh, that sucks. Yeah. That sucks for everybody. It was a little distracting. So hopefully, saying she, um, they just they really nail the choreography and they have nice, steady cameras and show people just like mm-hmm. I can't wait for a Marvel kung fu film. Uh, it can't, you know, no guarantee it'll be great, but I I like the idea of them trying to do their own kung fu style film. For sure. Very exciting. Yeah. Yep. Can't wait for that one. If you've seen Black Widow, let us know what you thought. Yeah, please do. Yeah, we um, of course. We'd love to hear from you, whether you loved it, hate it, indifferent. All those are valid and interesting. Mm-hmm. We love having those conversations. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Yeah, thanks, folks. Have a great week. Love you tons. Bye. Bye.